you know, every one of us has been given certain responsibilities in life, and um, some of them are, are, are heavier than others to bear, obviously, and uh, uh, some of us have uh, jobs that uh, require great responsibility, and uh, our families, our ministries, our marriages, uh, all of us have roles that we play in our lives, and uh, I guess I want to ask you the question today, do you enjoy your roles? Uh, mostly, right? Yeah. Do you find them fulfilling? Life-giving, enjoyable, yeah. How do you feel when you encounter problems in your roles? Criticism, even. Outright opposition. I I, I start off this way because uh, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians, the sixth chapter today, and it would be easy as we read it and and, uh, study it and think about it today that the Apostle Paul um, is really writing about his life. And uh, perhaps you could just say, well, it doesn't have a whole lot to do with me. Or you could think it pertains to people who are, like me, called to ministry, full-time ministry position, because it is about ministry. God may, I pray that God would speak to you today. Uh, We all have ministry. We all have ministry in our families. We all have ministry in our neighborhoods. We are uh, ministers of the gospel no matter where we go, and... uh, He may want to show you how you see the relationships in your life, the influence that you have in those relationships, some of his plans. At the end of chapter 5, which we've looked at over the last couple of weeks, it says that believers in Christ, it designates and gives us this this title, it says ambassadors, ambassadors for Christ, as if he were making his appeal through us, it says, his work, to join him in his work in every area of our life. And the last verse of chapter 5, it highlights the grace of God. It says about He, uh, God, made Jesus to be sin on our behalf, that we would become the righteousness of God. This wonderful grace that He would take our sin, forgive it all completely, and exchange it, exchange this selfishness, this self-righteousness for selflessness, for very much His own righteousness. He brings His life to us that we may join Him in what He's doing around the world. And uh, what an awesome privilege it is to be the bearers of His grace. Earlier in the book, it calls us, it calls the people of God the sweet fragrance. The sweet fragrance, the aroma, if you will, of His grace. And... uh, you know, I think about that when I think about the day-to-day life that I live in my family and uh, in the church and all of us in our places of employment, schools that we may attend, our neighborhoods. God has this, uh, this sweet fragrance that He wants to uh, permeate the culture through the people of God. And uh, when you believe in Christ for your salvation, you really do become a part of this team, this mission, this effort to change the world, and that's what this passage is all about. The chapter starts with a, an appeal. It, it's kind of a continuation. There is a tra- chapter break, but it's, it's kind of an, a continuation of what was going on in chapter 5. And Let me read the first couple of verses. He says this, "...and working together with Him, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain." For he says, at the acceptable time I listened to you, and on the day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. 
He's making this uh, very real appeal to not take the grace of God in vain. And uh, then he, he talks about this quote from Isaiah 49, where they were talking about the day of salvation. And he says, The day of salvation has come in the person of Jesus Christ. It's here, it's now, it's available. Don't wait. And the first phrase of the, of the chapter really starts out, and working together with God. I think about that phrase, and it's just kind of awesome to think about that we're in this with Him together to bring about His will and His divine plan in the world. And uh, we are active participants in fulfilling God's mission. Chapter 5, verse 15, he makes the point that when someone dies for you, gives you new life, when Jesus died for you, gave you new life, you just can't. Keep living for self. There's this, there's this awesomeness of His grace that just draws us into the mission, the very heart of God to bring life to the world around us, to our families and to our kids and our grandkids, and uh, to build these legacies of grace in our families. It says there in chapter 5, verse 17, that you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. And your life has this flood of acceptance and just love, and you just can't trivialize that grace anymore. You can't take it for, for in vain. You can't uh, make it that which is of no value or doesn't have impact in your life. It just wouldn't make sense. You know, I thought about this and I thought about, imagine a young girl who grows up and uh, she wants nothing more than just to be married someday and she's lonely and she's in her mid-twenties and uh, she just really would like to find Mr. Right and then one day what happens? Voila, there he is. She finds the love of her life and uh, they get married and uh, it's just absolutely transformative in her life. And I thought, can you imagine that new bride coming to this new love of her life and saying, you know, I really do appreciate so much the beautiful, expensive ring. Oh, the lavish ceremony was absolutely amazing and all, don't get me wrong. I really do want you in my life, but I really, I just want to keep living the pathetic, single, lonely life I was living before. How would the new husband feel about the arrangement? And that's really what verse 1 is all about. To take the, the grace of God in vain, and, and the word vain means empty, without impact, without effect, it means to live the same old way, have the same values, have the same pursuits, spend my time and my money the very same way I used to. It's just I'm kind of adding God in, and I want Him in my life, but I really want to go ahead and keep living in the world the way I used to. Jesus changes people. He, he, he reorganizes. He transforms. He completely turns our world upside down. He draws us into this relationship that is so filled with Him and so filled with His grace and His love that uh, life is meant to never be lived like it was before. We take His grace in vain when we do, when we live for ourselves, live for our own pleasures, because He's gone to such great lengths for us. And He goes on in verse 3, giving no cause for offense in anything, so that the ministry will not be discredited. This is a continuing thought. Don't take the grace of the Lord in vain and uh, give no cause for Offense in anything, so that the ministry will not be discredited. We are to protect the ministry of Jesus, which flows through us. i got to tell you, I've been thinking about this verse all week long. I've thought about times in my life where I've reacted in ways that I shouldn't, and uh, 
perhaps took things too personally, retreated away from situations because they were difficult or, or hard, and just giving opportunity for others to be offended, as it says in the verse. And Paul, Paul connects these two ideas. When we give opportunity for people to be offended, we're bringing discredit to the ministry, to the influence that we have in people's lives. I thought about this in relationship to churches. You, know, you think about a church planter. Jesus plants the vision in the heart of a young ba- pastor, and he, he starts a work, and it grows simply because he's really on track with God's gospel, and there's people who are loving one another, and he, just freely accepting one another. The truth is proclaimed, uncompromised, in powerful, powerful ways. And people are turning from their sin, receiving new life in Christ, and things are just blowing and going in this church because the ministry of the gospel is so real and dynamic. And the young pastor just cherishes the moments, feels most fortunate that he's part of such an amazing, planted work of God. And then somewhere along the line... What happens so many times, the church begins to feel that they're kind of special in God's eyes. Amen? (laughs) The pastor begins to have visions of this thing keeps rolling. I could be a megachurch pastor. (laughs) I might be invited to conferences. (laughs) That'd be great. The church subtly kind of talks about how special they are to God, and they, uh, they want to continue this flow, this snowball, and so... Now they're saying, now we've got to not only reach those that don't have another church, we need to kind of talk about the other churches in a way that might make their people leave and come over here. They're just not as good. They don't teach the right things. And uh, perhaps find other ways to self-elevate. Cause for offense. Discredited ministry. It's never, ever our ministry. (laughs) It's always, always His ministry. Now, you're going to find this hard to believe. You ready? There have been a, times, a few times in my many years of ministry where I've thought about doing something else. You just can't believe it, can you? And I tell you, when, you, when I have a season like that, or I just begin to rethink through uh, the call of God in me and what, what He's done in my past and what He's doing right now, and uh, He... He brings me back to a place where grace changed me, where life really started, and uh, I just want want to relive, I just want to experience, I want to go back to the place where one moment that my sins weren't forgiven, and the next moment, my sins were gone. Remember that? And I was clean, and and he, He called me, He just called me to be enveloped by His grace and His love and His goodness and just let Him accept me into His family. And uh, what a joy it was to just serve Him and just be at His beck and call and be available to Him. And the blessings that He's just poured out over and over. Yeah, it's been tough at times and there's things that uh, rock the boat sometimes and there's troubles just like every one of us have. And uh, yet I can say... And he's always been so faithful to me. Great is his faithfulness, amen? He's just so faithful. And I just, I, just, I just love him so very much today. And he, 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 in those times, he embraces me in such a way. And, uh, you know, there's this, there's this uh, intimacy, this connection with his spirit that just says, it's not your ministry anyway, <laughs> right? It's really not your ministry 
It's mine. And I just want you to live in response to what I've done in your life, what I'm doing in your life. I just want you to live in response to my grace for you. And he just carries the day. Especially when things are difficult or troubling or distressing. Because let me ask you, are times sometimes difficult, distressing? Which brings us to the rest of the passage. In verse 4, Paul is going to start this long list. How many of you like to make lists, you know? I mean, okay, I guess I ought to be fair. How many of you hate lists, you know? Okay? Hang in there. Hang in there. Okay? Uh, uh, Let me give you the statistics. This list has 27 items. Are you excited now? 27 items. And uh, really, there's three sections of nine. Is that the math right? Yeah, I think, yeah. First section, the first nine, he says this in verse 4, but in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God, that's key, servants of God, in much endurance, and here's the list, in afflictions, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger. After you read that, isn't it a joy to serve Jesus? You know, he identifies himself as a servant. You just think about that. Servants have a different uh, perspective than owners than uh, the managers, whoever is in charge. And there, there's, just a, there's a mindset, there's a change in how we approach life when we see our lives as servants. We're just here to follow the master's plan. He's in charge. He knows what he's doing. It's his responsibility. I'm just available to be a part of what he's doing. I'm willing. I don't have any really high and lofty expectations, really. I don't have this uh, mentality that I deserve certain things or I'm entitled to certain things. Nuh-uh. I'm a servant. These nine things really fall into three distinct categories. The first group is this, afflictions, hardships, and distresses. And the point I would make is we are servants that expect difficulties. You know, I think expectations have a lot to do in our lives with with the level of joy sometimes because if we have expectations that life is supposed to be rosy, what happens when it's not? And so there's this servant attitude that we have in following Christ that there is this expectation that, yeah, there's going to be difficult times. Let me ask you this. How many of you on purpose walk into difficult times? You know, I was with a lady uh, not too long ago, a young lady, single, and she knows that God has called her to mission work. Isn't that wonderful? Mid-20s, going into mission work. And she goes, I know, and I'm so excited because God has called me to the country of Turkey. And I'm going to go there and I'm going to get established with my team in the big city of Istanbul. And then, you know, over there in eastern Turkey, the gospel is almost void. I can't wait to leave Istanbul and make my way to the eastern part over to near the Syrian border. I'm so excited about what God has called me to do. She wouldn't have it any other way. The second group in the list contains these three. Beatings, imprisonments, tumults. Tumults meaning riots. We are servants that expect opposition. All of these are about what other people will do to the apostle in this case. I would say most of us have, uh, oh, probably all of us have never encountered this level of opposition. In other words, have you been beaten, imprisoned for the gospel? Have you caused a riot because of what you were preaching? No. And, uh, you know, I think about this, though, and doesn't it challenge the whole idea that God's work in my life is to Make my life beautiful and happy every day. I'm inspired by people who follow God or, or stay with God or draw into God when they're being opposed and 
even persecuted. And I'm drawn to people like uh, Corey Timboom. You, you know that name, right? Author, uh, Nazi prison camp survivor. Just some of her quotes. She says, you can never learn that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. She says, don't bother to give God instructions. Just report for duty. <laughs> and she says this, with Jesus... Even in our darkest moments, the best remains, and the very best is yet to be. Now, can you write those things from a Nazi prison camp? The third group, labors, sleeplessness, hunger. We are servants that expect to work. Don't you love working for Jesus? Some of you are going, I don't know. We've all heard that axiom. You get out of something what you put into it, and uh, now that's not in the Bible, but uh, think about it for a second. You get involved in a ministry and you just kind of, you're not really wanting to be there and you just kind of mail it in. You just kind of slide by and uh, you shouldn't be disappointed if it's not really that fulfilling, right? But what if you're all in, all in, no turning back. It's the, if I die, I die kind of commitment. The scripture uses words like labor, hard work, not being able to sleep because there's just work to be done and uh, Food is even less than important. Can you imagine? The call of God on my life is just, uh, it's just enmeshed into my very fiber of my being. Another great saint, uh, Hudson Taylor, missionary to China, he said this about his work. He said, there are three stages to every great work of God. He says, the first is impossible. It is impossible. The second, then it is difficult. And third, it is done. Every great work of God starts with, oh, it needs God because this is an impossible task. The second work, oh, it's going to take a lot of hard work. It's going to take the investment of my cooperation with him and his power. And then I'm going to see him actually do it and accomplish it. In verse 6, the list continues. Paul has now talked about external circumstances, the, the opposition and the afflictions and uh, the hard work. And now he's going to see what's gone on in his own spirit. Verse 6, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, in the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness, for the right hand and the left. We are servants which bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's kind of an abbreviated list of the Galatians 5, fruit of the Spirit list. When you live in Jesus, they just begin to start showing up. They just start appearing. In our life, it's kind of like you find that he brings this uh, pure, single-mindedness in your life. There's no more duplicity. I'm one thing at church, I'm another thing at home. I, I live this way around Christian people, I live this way around uh, worldly people. There's no duplicity anymore. There's this pure singleness of mind. Uh, there's a spiritual understanding of what's going on around me. Yet, uh, all of a sudden, I wake up and I'm more patient. Wouldn't you love that? I'm just more patient with difficult people. I'm not so anxious and frustrated. We're astonished that we can be kind even in the midst of confrontation. And we're, we're no longer so defensive when people come at us and there's just this kindness. And we're going, where did that come from? You ever been there? We genuinely love people. We, we, want, we love them so much we want them to hear the truth. And this may be hard to hear, this truth, but I'm going to tell you anyway because I love you and uh, because we're not really all wrapped up in how their acceptance of us is going to drive us. It's all this part of his working in us. The apostle is saying that that's what's carried him through the challenges of ministry and the challenges of life. And then 
The list finishes with this in verse 8 to 10. By glory and dishonor, by evil report and good report. These are two sides of a coin, each one of these. Regarded as deceivers and yet true, as unknown yet well known, as dying yet behold we live, as punished yet put to death, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing all things. When you look at the list, there's this, you can look at things through the eyes of the world, the eyes of our past, when we see difficulties we can just get worried and fearful, or we can look through the eyes of God and His, His Son, Jesus, and uh, we see through the uh, circumstances into the spiritual reality of what's going on. And, uh, we view the world through spiritual eyes. We recognize the war, the spiritual war going on. Did you know that there's a war going on for you? A war going on for your kids. There's a war going on for your grandkids. And this part of the list exposes how Paul just views. It. What is his worldview? Now this may surprise you, but did you know that what appears to be going on is usually not what's really going on? Think about that. What appears to be going on is not what is really going on. And you can choose to look at things through worldly eyes and... Uh, you can see this, what the world would say is a hard situation, and you can just crumble and distress over it. And just, I can't do this. This is just terrible and uh, kind of go off the rails. Or you can look through the situation and you say, okay, I understand this. God sees this. This isn't surprising. God's not up in heaven wondering, what in the world am I going to do about this? <laughs> he holds the future. He's trustworthy. We just see things differently. The last three things on this list, for instance... Think about this, sorrowful yet rejoicing. Sorrowful, it makes you think of loss, of death. How can we rejoice when there's loss, when there's obvious sorrow in the situation? How can there be joy, which is what rejoicing means? How can I have the presence of joy while I have this ongoing struggle? How can I have the presence of joy when I lose something or someone so dear to me? Have you ever, ever thought about this? How does God... Look at the physical death of his children. You know, we don't really have to wonder. It says in Psalm 116, 15, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. Precious. He welcomes them home. And those who die in their sin without Christ, they, they're in the sorrow. That's all they have. We know there's life after death. We know that there's hope. There's joy. There's rejoicing even. He says, poor yet making many rich. I don't have to tell you, the world evaluates your life, my life, everybody's life by how much you got, right? It's, uh, it's what makes the world go round. Money is the influence, money is the power, and uh, I know so many who have reached their financial goals and still just wonder, what next? What next? What, is there something that can still come in and speak to the spiritual void in me? And having nothing yet possessing everything. You know, you may be new to the faith. You may be here investigating the claims of Jesus. Not sure about Christ. Not sure about being a Christian. Sometimes I hear people who are um, not brought up in the church or uh, not been around the church very long, and they go, I just really don't know a lot of things. Their mind immediately goes to, I just don't know. I just want somebody to teach me. I just want somebody to explain things to me and... Uh, one of the starting points for understanding the Christian experience, one of the 
main foundational points is that it's paradoxical. It's, it, it's not built on the system of the world. It doesn't function like the system of the world. It's, it's, it's almost upside down. That when we uh, turn loose of everything, when we give it up, when we let go, and when we say, I'm going to lose everything for Him, what happens? <laughs> we find everything. And there's no way to find everything unless you lose everything. It doesn't make sense sometimes, but that's, that's the way it is. It's paradoxical. Jesus addresses this. He says to his disciples, he says over in Mark 8, 35, whoever, whoever wishes to save his life is going to what? Lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels saves it. I remember when I lost everything. I was 21 years old. I'd been a Christian for seven years. But I was under a misunderstanding. Have you ever been a Christian living under a misunderstanding? For seven years, I lived a life where I, be- I-, I believed that because I was a Christian, God had certain obligations towards me, right? You're looking at me like, I never did that, yeah. God had this obligation to uh, just continually work stuff out. There wasn't supposed to be this problem or there... Even in me, inside of me, there wasn't supposed to be this rising of pride all the time and this defensiveness. And where's all this coming from? God, I'm in you. This is not supposed to be here. You're supposed to make life beautiful and happy. And one day I'd had enough of it. And I just said, Lord, okay, I'm going to lose it all. In fact, if I, uh, if I only have you, I'm going to say, that's enough. You ever been there? Uh, I wasn't married at the time. I said, uh, you can have my future bride, whoever she's going to be. And you can just, I'm, I'm tired really of the hassle. You just tell me who to marry, Lord. <laughs> Amen. My career, I thought I knew where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do. And I said, Lord, no. I guess you want that too, right? I said, okay, my money. I said, my career that I thought might bring me to a point of Money, and that's the way you're supposed to decide careers, right? I said, I'm just going to turn that loose, and I'm just going to lose everything. And I guess the, the best way to answer what happens next is that all of a sudden, it's like in Paul's conversion over there in Acts, he says he was, you know, he was blinded by the light, and one day, what happened? The scales fell off his eyes. Oh, that's what you mean in the Scripture. Oh, now I see the whole thing differently. Now I see your blessings differently. Now I see your work in my life differently. Now I see your grace so much differently. What about you? Are you playing tug-of-war with God? Trying to coerce Him? You know what tug-of-war with God is. is You keep trying to coerce Him to do your thing. You keep trying to pull Him into your will. He keeps, no, you're so much better off under my wing. I want you to give that up. I I want you to know that his pursuit is relentless. He's not going to stop. He's not going to just say, okay, I'll start just being your servant. He's not going to do that. He loves you too much to stand idly by and uh, see you chase worldly things. It's not even beyond him to apply some pressure to help you see how beautiful losing everything is. So the invitation today is to Give up, give in, let go, embrace possessing nothing so you can have it all.
You can have everything. Let's pray together. Father, this, I thank you for this passage. I, I thank you for what is spoken to me this week. And I thank you, Father, for... Well, that's, yeah, the, I, I thank you for the long list. And I pray, Father God, that uh, in these closing moments that uh, you would again show us the value of the cross at work in our life. The work that the cross continually sets us free from the attachments that we can gravitate to. Father, show us just again the value of Your grace through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Show us again the richness of the meaning of that sacrifice of redemption. We praise You today.